0: Andy Earle. We're here today with David Sortino, the author of two books, and he has two new books coming out in the next two years. He's the author of The Promised Cookie, No Longer Angry Children, which is an incredible book about a school for challenged children that he went to work for when he was In his young 20s and this incredible group of kids and his second book, A Guide to How Your Child Learns, Understanding the Brain from Infancy to Young Adulthood is a collection of articles that he wrote for the paper. They're all focused on a scientific finding and how it applies to raising kids of different ages. I should also note that Dr. Sortino holds a master's degree in human development from Harvard University, and a doctorate in clinical psychology from Saybrook University. He spent 35 years as a teacher, a counselor, a director, and a resource specialist. And currently, he's the director of the National Feedback Institute in Grayton, California. David, thank you so much for making the time to be here today. I've now read two of your books here, The Promised Cookie and A Guide to How Your Children Learns. And I got to say, we've spoken a a few times now. And every time I talk to you, it's like I discover more crazy things (laughs) about your life. There seems like there's just been so much packed in there, but all around, you know, education and and really educating kind of hard to reach students. And so I wonder just if you could talk a little bit about how that all started or what kicked you into this whole, this whole crazy mess of things.
1: Well, you know, everybody has a story. And I tell that to my students and my clients that everybody has a novel, <laughs> believe it or not. And for me, uh, it actually uh, it came out with the promised cookie because it's something that I held within myself for years. And it actually affected a lot of my ability to learn, learning potential, because I was always questioning uh well well and you know am, am i uh up to snuff <laughs> so to speak mm. but the interesting thing is in third third grade what had happened was that i uh i spent half the year out in the hallway uh, for behavioral problems and no one knew why this suddenly happened because kindergarten first second grade i was fine all of a sudden third grade Something happened. Well, what had happened was my grandfather passed away, and in Italian families, it's an open casket. So, for the first time in my life, I saw not only a person who was deceased, but it was someone who I knew. Yeah. After that, a couple of months later, my father, who had a a fairly a good job, he was like a CPA in a large corporation. Uh, They had suggested that he move to Los Angeles and take over this large company and so he was flying out often let's say once a month and he had a couple of emergency landings and i started having nightmares and Mm. that carried over into third grade and eventually they you know they sent me to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said well what's going on you've been fine up until this time because i've been i was having nightmares or whatever and come to find out Years later, I realized that I was sort of unconsciously trying to keep my father from flying because I was afraid he was going to die. Yeah, right. Okay. And I came from a family that was uh, very academic. I have cousins. The boys became MDs and the women became teachers. (laughs) But when I say MDs, we're talking about there's one that's world famous. He discovered the AIDS virus, who was my... He grew up next to me, and I grew up with him. He's 10 years old. His name is Dr. Robert Gallo. He discovered the AIDS virus. He discovered the leukemia virus. Things. I'm just saying that the pressure to succeed in school was dramatic, and so I started acting out. Yeah. Right, and right. so what happened was after, after seeing the psychiatrist, he reminded me of my grandfather, actually. I was fine. But I always carry that year with me throughout. So I got Mm. eventually, uh, what had happened was that in Promise Cookie, my first major job with uh, children who had uh, behavioral problems, who had been sexually, physically abused or whatever, from the Promise Cookie, I felt when I walked on campus, I felt that I was in these kids' bodies because I'd been there. So a lot of the things that I did was intuitive with these kids, because I felt that in order to reach uh, kids who have issues, such as sexual abuse or whatever, they have, they're have they very kinesthetic. These are kids who do not like to be touched. So I figured I uh, by doing something kinesthetic, which is what I needed, but they forced me to sit at my desk, I ended up developing a, an academic program, like the Promise Cookie, where... I tried to incorporate a, a kinesthetic type of program with kids who had been uh, physically abused, very much like Montessori. Montessori had orphan kids who she worked with, and she did a lot of stuff that had to do with the kinesthetic parts of her brain because that's a part of, the, uh, of kids' brains that had not been touched. So basically, nice. that was a major uh, turning point for me. And from then on, I've always went in and, and did residential treatment, Juvenile, you know, stuff that was always with kids who had behavioral issues, and the you know, the, for me, the connection was that I understood what these kids
0: were going through. So that was before you had studied all of developmental psychology and had become Doctor Sortino. Like this is just
1: well before. Don't forget though, you know, as an undergraduate, I got to do in psychology, but I always I was always into the rest of the brain. Uh, you know, I gotta be in psychology or whatever. But I was always interested <laughs> in some aspect because I was like trying to figure out my own particular problems. And, yeah. and until I walked onto that campus in the promised cookie, I didn't really make that connection of how important it was for me kinesthetically to be able to express my stuff. And because they sat, you know, it was the fifties, so they sat me in a desk all day and I was losing my mind, you know, so mm. I saying I can't do this. and then after that then yeah I went to graduate school you know I worked with Coburg at Harvard you know stuff like that and then I I taught graduate school in the Bay Area you know and I taught child development and and then I got a PhD in clinical psychology, you know. But I was always interested in the brain. And a lot of that is my own particular need to, to nurture myself and to have a better understanding of, these, of kids. And then now I'm, for five years, I've done a, uh, I'm into, you know, the neuroscience of doing neurofeedback on children who have been, uh, you know, abused, et cetera. So, mm. And that's been successful. So that's where we're at
0: that explains the, there's a neurofeedback essay in how guide to how your child learns exactly okay but i got to say this book the promised cookie is incredible and it's like uh you said you wrote it when you were 24 years old uh, i was not what i was expecting i mean there's like a love story in here there's these like vivid characters it reads almost like a novel it's like beautiful oh thanks I-
1: again i like i said before uh everyone has something That they need to express, uh, whether it's through painting, art, physicality, uh, through dance or whatever. And I think that's what I did with the children. uh, The program was called Rescue, and I call it COPE. But you have to, when people are repressing something, it has to come out physically. And unfortunately, you know, you get to talk therapy or whatever. That doesn't hack it for about 99% of the people, particularly the kids. They not need to be able to express stuff with their body. So, sorry I get off on a tangent.
0: No, but I think that's such a theme of the book. And, like, there's a story in here where uh, uh, you take a break from school and you're, like, spending 10 days in Jamaica. And you can't even escape it. There's, like, a dad there who, you know, recruits you to come talk to his 15-year-old son. And he's like, oh, you got to talk to my kid. He's, you know, so lazy.
1: That was... Very heavy. Right. Because I go, I meet with the kid. The father's a y- Yale, you know, architect, very famous guy on the island, you know, building all this stuff. He has no clue about who this kid is, you know. And I go into his bedroom and he's got, you know, Jimi Hendrix, and, you know, on the walls and, and stuff. And I said, look it, I really understand where, you know, what you're going through. And I said, just believe in yourself. And try and get through this period and stay with... He was a musician. He wanted to be a musician. The father wanted to go to Yale. You know, that type of stuff. And I right. Said, go, you know, go with where your heart is and stay with your music. and everything you be fine. And, you know, it was, it was cool. I didn't... You know, I forgot all about that. That's really amazing that I, I carry... You know, I was in track and this guy... <laughs> So does I want you to meet my son. He's really screwed up. <laughs> the kid was phenomenal.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's an instinct. It's like we are looking for what's wrong in our kids, and so that we can fix it. But a lot of times, you know, there's nothing wrong. Or if you if you were in that situation, you'd behave in exactly the same way. And it just has to do with the, exactly. the environment that they're in, right? And it's so the, like they. Uh, Like you're saying that we all have something that, you know, needs to come out that we need to express. And that's why I brought that up because it was like what you did with the kid in however many minutes you sat down with him was just like, you know, say, hey, you need to like, you know, tell your dad about how passionate you are about music. And you need to convince him that you're serious about this and that, you know, you want to go to music school and you want to do like you got to go make this case to him. And it was like he had this thing that he was inside of him, but he just hadn't like – He didn't have the ability to, you know, to communicate it yet because he's 15 years old.
1: And his father was so close. Right. That's the thing about adolescence is that adolescence is that period where they are ready to break out. They are ready to be creative. And the parents repress out of fear because the parents are, are repressing everything in their own life. And they won't let these kids break out because these parents are trapped you know emotionally Mm. and they the thing is is that they don't respect or trust that these kids are going to be safe and phenomenal and creative and then what they do is they repress it and then the kid ends up you know getting into drugs or whatever it might be for them to escape the, the repression of their fathers or parents who never were able to get out of that hole you know yeah
0: So there's a passage in your book that really stood out to me. There's a guy named Frank that kind of comes to work at the school and he's, Hello, yeah, he's like asking you, you know, how am I ever going to teach these kids? You know, these kids that are, <laughs> that are so troubled and you, you ask him like to think about his own past and, you know, he remembers baseball and how important baseball was when he was a kid. And then it says, you know, well, I said, take your knowledge of baseball or think back to your school days and find out how you would have wanted to be spoken to or taught. That's how you should teach these kids. Remember your own childhood. Remember the most vulnerable times. Get into that feeling, and maybe you'll be able to understand what it's like to be in our kids' shoes.
1: Oh, that's cool, because he's a—he's about you know the only one who – I still have a connection with him because we played ball against each other in semi-pro baseball, mm. and he became a professional dancer, Bottom dancer, but you know what he's doing now? He he's working as a he's a great teacher, a history teacher in New York City, mm-hmm. and uh, but he's a professional dancer. And the other one, you, you know, the music guy who taught music to the kids. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that chapter. Oh Mr. yeah, I love George. that one as well. He passed away, but he came from the same type uh, neighborhood as Joe. Uh, his name was Frank, but his name was Joe. And I enlisted them because, I, you know, they came from really, really difficult home environments. And George was the same way. Remember, that he said to the kids, feel the music. You know, feel the music. And the kid, whatever, Marty ends up, whoever name is, ends up taking a guitar and breaking it. Against Smashes the, wall. the guitar. And George right? says, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I just, this is bringing back a lot of stuff you know (laughs) but I enlisted my you know friends who I knew thought like me
0: right I I just thought it was so cool that it was like (laughs) what your instinct was was to get them to look back at when they felt vulnerable and then that that place was where they could then connect with the kids because the empathy I think is so important
1: oh yeah it was uh, they had to get in touch with their own you know their own essence so to speak and that's what, you know, baseball for George was uh, music, and you know. And then Joe, of course, was a dancer, and he used to do, you know, ball and dance with these kids. But I, I don't think I wrote about that. But, but uh, it was pretty cool. These guys are pretty – these two guys are just amazing. Amazing, you know. And George, unfortunately, passed away last year, and he was like a professional musician. and uh, But, you know, he spent <sighs> – of time together, you know, it was cool. It was like playing baseball.
0: <laughs> I'm just wondering, as as a parent, you know, how you try to find that vulnerability in yourself so that you can kind of connect with your own teenager in that same way.
1: I mean, just today, I just had a session with a kid. You know, these p- parents are, you know, very upperly mobile, educated affluent, uh, you know, they own a winery, and a high-end winery, and blah, blah, blah. And I told them, you know, I I, did, I I, told the parents, you know, they're freaking out that you can't do this or that, which is really minor. And I said that not only do you have to trust but you also, the child, but you, you gotta, I, parent. we're so overread. We're so over, we have so much knowledge hmm. that it's they, they apply that and they, they don't, they take away the, the kids' six or seven. And they're, you know, they take away his childhood because they try and make everything controlled and predictable. And, you know, kids have to fail. How else are you going to, you know, when I was a kid, we used to go up into the hills and spend the whole day there. No one ever worried about us getting abducted. We just went up into the you know? Sure. And played for hours like Tom Sawyer. And someone referred to my book. That it was like Tom Sawyer,
0: you know, mm. the kids' behavior
1: or whatever. And you know, think of Tom Sawyer. We gotta stop trying to control kids. You know, their 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 development, their emotional, and you know, this thing of no one can fail. It's unbelievable how much we're screwing the kids' brains up. They're like young children, and we're we're treating them like they're adolescents or young adults. There's no, you know, we're losing their childhoods. It's unbelievable, but. That I mean, that's a big thing. I had I did a job. I spent a year up in Northern California, uh, a residential program for sexually abused kids, ages five to twelve. I'm talking about five year olds sexually abused, which meant that wow. we would have to we would re we would have to work with them and they reunify and bring them the. The courts would reunify them back to the homes and they immediately get sexually abused, okay, by an uncle or whatever. And what I did with them was to set, basically set up a program that was thematic in the sense that what it was, you know, with sexually abused children, they're like adoptive, abandoned kids, and, and they sexually act up. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. that's how they can re- relate to people because they've been sexually abused and they're so angry. Uh, and so what I did was that I, ha- I go to the school as a director and all the, uh, there's, uh, all the teachers are sort of doing their own thing. And people who get attracted to this population, they get overprotective. So they would do their own thing, own thing, own thing, you know, all these teachers. And I said, this is, you know, this is nonsense. we got to incorporate everybody's talents into a thematic type of program academically, to get everybody involved. And basically they were all freaked out because they were afraid to let these kids interact with each other because they would, you know, basically fight or sexually, you know, act out sexually. And it was remarkable uh, because after five or six weeks with these kids, I remember the first week I was there, I said to the teachers on Friday, we're going to do a barbecue. We're going to put all the tables out in the middle of the school grounds where the kids went to school, and we're going to have a barbecue. (laughs) And the teacher said, we can't do that because they're going to kill each other. They're they're not used they can't socialize.
0: Yeah, set the bar high for them.
1: What I did was I put the tables out, we had the barbecue, and it was like these kids were like the most well-behaved kids you've ever seen. They were Mm. so happy, and the teachers all go, Oh, my God, this is amazing. They're acting like normal kids. <laughs> Sometimes when you treat children in a normal way, they act normal. It was the teachers who were abnormal. Yeah, you know it's like Dale,
0: Dale Carnegie said, just give yeah, people a exactly. reputation to live up to. And if you expect <laughs> good things from them, then, then you'll be amazed at what they do. But if you expect them to be terrible. And I made the
1: Friday barbecues not only a major thing, but – uh, Kids have to achieve certain things uh, physically, you know, running or push-ups. Mm. When, they, when they achieved this particular thing at the barbecue, they would get a, a watch. <laughs> I'd give them all a watch. <laughs> and they had never got anything. Like, and But the bottom line is these kids, they just got normalized. And But the problem mm. was that they ended up reunifying and, and screwed them up
0: again. They had but, to go back, right.
1: Yeah, and for a year, this was the most amazing program. I had never written about it, but what I'm saying is that I normalized a situation. Whereas all these teachers were acting out of fear and, you know, saying the glass is half empty, I was saying, you know, go to the human being's highest self potential. It was phenomenal. It's one of the, it's like the promised cookie towards the end when things really came to. I've never had such, you know, a really good feeling about how the human potential that can be achieved. Even with the mm-hmm. teachers, the teachers just became mm-hmm. phenomenal,
0: you know. Well, it strikes me, too, that that's the same thing. You gave them a reputation to live up to.
1: Yes, exactly. And everybody operates out of fear, you know. Teachers, everybody. At least I'm talking about the population that I deal with, that a lot of the adults who, you know, work with these kids or whatever, they're so repressed that they operate out of fear that something wrong is gonna to happen to these kids. And in a mm-hmm. sense they hold back and the kids hold back. I did this at Juvenile Hall, the same thing. You know, I worked five years at the hall and I would go in and do moral development groups with them. And I would take kid I would take juvenile offenders who were highly they had assaulted individuals, they were gangbangers, you know, and whatever. And I would go across, take maybe four at a time in their, you know, the red uniforms, the jumpsuits or whatever. Yeah. To a place where it was a senior type of living place where they all lived, all the seniors, to hit golf balls. <laughs> it was just, and so all these senior citizens were looking at these kids and they knew where they were from, jumpsuits. Sure, right. We were hitting golf balls with them. <laughs> It's fantastic, I just think about that, because the kids were like, they loved it, you know?
0: We're here with David Sortino, talking about his books, The Promise Cookie, and A Guide to How Your Child Learns, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: Kids at the, you know, the bottom of the bell-shaped curve, they always end up, being very unhappy, which is what I, I was really unhappy in, yeah, in middle school. So does that answer your question? <laughs> adolescence is like a very dangerous time of your life. You get through adolescence you often live to people. <laughs> adolescence is, you know, they're driving, they're doing, pot, they're doing drugs and sex. I mean, this is like time bomb stuff. I mean, the brain wants to be smart. We don't want to keep our... No one wants to have a stupid brain.
0: (laughs) Sure, yeah. We want to feel like we're moving forward in life.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like good food. You know, kids eat crap, but when you give them some type of good food, you know, like, they light up. They go, wow, this is pretty good. This is good. Yeah, go to the higher self parts of the brain, you know. Kids who I tested for years at the juvenile hall were exhibiting the same things as these other kids. They there was they were just not academic. You know, I wrote an article on technical high schools, why we need a technical high school. They need technical high schools. These kids would be electricians and plumbers. They this is what they want to do and they'd be making more money than kids who go to college. You know, in, in the state of Washington, 75% of adult offenders and were spent time in juvenile law. Seventy five percent. On a study wow. was done in Washington. Think about that. Think about the money that they're spending doing car scrape and it's all up front. They can go back just go back to the develop you know school programs for these people to be successful.
0: Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.